Good morning. We'll see how we go. If you want to be turning to Acts chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today. Acts chapter 4, picking up from uh, where Ben was uh, kind of taking us a couple of weeks ago. We, kind of see, we saw the man who'd been lame since birth, healed. He'd, this man who was, uh, who'd been there begging at the, at the gate called Beautiful, and he's healed. And then Peter speaks to the crowd, telling them about Jesus, telling them about uh, what they needed to do to come and repent, telling them of their history. And so we'll pick it up in chapter 4 and read from verse 1 to verse 22. So Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put, him in put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 
years old. Okay, today we, we kind of stand here in a kind of odd moment of contrast. For us personally or as a church, we've been having this kind of staycation weekend, a bit of time of gathering together to have some fun together, to, uh, to gather together as a church and as a people. Whilst at the same time recognising the big news in the nation and the, the sense of mourning and loss. That's with the death of the Queen. And even as we look in this passage today in Acts 4, we can see, we can also see some big contrasts. We've seen this great healing and powerful preaching off the back of it. And we see wonderfully many people believing and coming to know Jesus. And at the same time, this great contrast, backlash. Some Many receive the news and they are captivated. They respond. They, they're saved. Others hear what Peter and John are saying and they are disturbed. There's a great contrast. We see many saved, but then we see the Sadducees coming up and others of the leaders and they're this, this group of the Sadducees, this kind of ruling class, kind of, kind of interesting group of people. One thing they certainly didn't like was people talking about the resurrection of the dead. They also don't seem to like the disciples rocking the boat. Perhaps they're quite happy to some degree with their position and the way things are going and don't want, don't want anything to be shaken. So they are disturbed which might be a bit of an understatement again. And we see this glorious moment of the, the man healed and then people saved and then Peter and John are seized and locked up and then brought before the Sanhedrin. Great contrast going on. So we see the story, but right in the middle of it. And even as we stand right in the middle of our weekend, the great big news in the nation and which could create quite a somber mood, a real sense of loss and mourning. The queen has died. And in the midst of that, actually us gathering together, let's be a people together. There is a place for having fun together. Actually, in the midst of that contrast, in the midst of the contrast of this passage, what's central? Peter turns his attention to Jesus. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, verse 10, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. As Dan kind of mentioned at the beginning, as we kind of join, in one sense, with the nation, as we, we are a part of all that's going on, in remembering one who has been a constant presence over 70 years and longer, 96 years of a life. We've seen so many of those descriptions of her 
bringing continuity, the Queen bringing continuity and constancy, being, I heard one BBC commentator calling her a keystone of the nation. Liz Trust, the Prime Minister, in her speech spoke about her being the rock on which modern Britain was built. The Metro headline I picked up on Friday just said, the rock of our nation. As we remember Queen Elizabeth II, let's rightly turn our full attention. Yes, she was one. We celebrate the fact that she constantly looked to her saviour and followed and kept going and was constant in our nation. Let's turn our attention to that saviour, the true cornerstone, the one who is absolutely solid, eternally, forever. Jesus, the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected who has become the cornerstone. That's where we're going to be today. Jesus is the one who reigns. Jesus is the one who is constant. Jesus is the one who is this true cornerstone. So we're going to look at the Sadducees and their response. We're going to look at Peter and John's response to them. But we're going to start fixing our eyes on the king. Jesus, the king, the rock, the cornerstone. Let's read those words again. Verse 11. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Here's the truth. Here is Jesus. As Peter talks powerfully to some of the rulers of the nation and speaks directly, the stone you builders rejected, picking up the words of Psalm 118, the stone you builders rejected, he is the one who has become the true cornerstone. And as I say, in so many ways we can remember and we can pick up the truth of those words as applied even to Queen Elizabeth. Over a 70-year reign which has seen so much change in the nation and in the world. A constant presence, a constant, a, con a place of constancy in the midst of everything changing. Well, how much more? How much more, Jesus, the eternal reigning forever king, the cornerstone? Here is the solid ground. Here is the true foundation. Here is the most important piece in eternity, in the universe. Peter turns his attention here. He is the stone that you builders rejected. He was rejected, condemned, put to death. But he has become, he is the most important, the most solid, the most secure place. The only solid grounds, the only true foundation for life, the only source of forgiveness and restoration. He's the cornerstone. Even that word might seem a bit kind of, well, what on earth does that even mean? What is this cornerstone? What is it about? 
Well, it's a, it's a description from the building of buildings. We might talk about a foundation more so these days. We might talk about the solid foundation that we lay. Might not look like individual stones most of the time in the West nowadays. But I remember being with Blessan and Dan in India and seeing a family building a house and lifting these massive rocks and laying. This was how they were laying the foundation. This stone needs to go in here. And if you go back to ancient times and look at the way of building, I'm going to do this. I, I saw this box and I thought I'm going to use it as a prop. They take one big stone, a lot bigger than this, probably, and this would go in the corner. This is what gets laid first. This is where we start. And everything lines up to this. And everything is built into this. Everything is secure in this. Not this little metal flight case. It's the cornerstone. And the building will grow up from here and the building will be strong. Well, this is Jesus. And you see, even in the way some people might be referring to Queen Elizabeth as a constant source of strength, or a, I'm not belittling what people are saying, sorry. But some might be referring in that kind of slightly wistful way. Well, she was always there. And the Queen was so much more than that. But we can easily get into that kind of slightly sentimental way of thinking, like it was just, she was always there. In times of trouble, she was always there. Well, the queen was more than that. And Jesus is so much more than that. Not the, oh yeah, we know Jesus is there somewhere. He's the foundation. This is where our lives are built on. This is, this is, this is who holds all things together by his powerful words. He's the cornerstone. Not merely a comfort in time of need or a vague understanding that there's something solid there, but the foundation, the author and giver of life, the creator, the one who's actively holding all things together. The one who in his name, people are healed and life is given. This is Jesus. And this is where Peter goes. Rulers, see, this is who we're talking about. Jesus, the cornerstone. The question I'd ask today is, is he the cornerstone of your life? Is he what your life is built on? Is he the one that you are completely captivated and recognize? He's the foundation. He's the one in whom everything is held together. Are we convinced of who he is? Are we convinced of his power, his holiness, his mercy, his love, his solid ground that we stand on? Because he's the cornerstone. Rejected by the builders, rejected to the cross. He has become the solid foundation. He is the solid ground on which we stand. 
As Stu Morris reminded us last week as he was preaching when he came here, we are weak, but he is strong. And those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. This is who he is. Jesus, the cornerstone. And this is who Peter and John are trusting in and preaching in. This is where we have to start. Jesus, the cornerstone. It's the vital piece, the only hope, the solid ground. So that's where we start. Jesus, the cornerstone. This is who Jesus is. But what are the Sadducees saying here? The Sadducees and other leaders who come up. You see, they see Peter and John speaking to the people after this miraculous, glorious healing of a man. A man who is over 40 years old and he's been lame since birth. And now he's leaping and jumping about and he's been healed. He's, it's miraculous, it's wonderful. And they are disturbed. They're disturbed. They are worried, confused, angry. They're disturbed. We see... Peter and John, they've, been, they've seen this man healed and they've been preaching the truth of Jesus. And the Sadducees are disturbed. You see, regardless of what exactly they were disturbed by, the truth is this, the good news of Jesus causes offence. The good news of Jesus is offensive. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1, in 1 Corinthians 1, speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. And what's that? A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified. Paul, Paul, Paul did. Peter and John are preaching Christ crucified. They're preaching the truth of who Jesus is. They're preaching that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's offensive to some of their listeners. The idea of a crucified saviour doesn't make sense to many people. The good news is often not what people want to hear. I don't want to hear that I'm a sinner, thank you very much. And on many issues today, we as the church may be seen as, oh, on the polite level, out of touch, getting a bit deeper, perhaps a bit controversial, or going a bit further, even dangerous to those around us. For the Sadducees, the presenting issue they objected to was resurrection from the dead. They're preaching in, in the name of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. Well, we see them questioning Jesus on this in Matthew 22 and verses 23 to 33. And if you remember back to the Mark drama, you'll remember the, uh, the wonderful way that that story was played out. As the Sadducees come up to Jesus and they, oh, we've got a question, teacher. It's about this, uh, this, these seven brothers, and one of them marries a woman, 
but then he dies. But then according to the law, obviously, then his brother has to marry the woman, and then he dies, and then another brother, and then another brother, and then another brother. All these brothers have married this woman, and then they all die. That's my slight paraphrase. But they all end up... So, so Jesus, here's the clever question. Who will she be married to when they're raised from the dead? But Jesus takes them apart. You just don't get it. He sees through their clever story. Clever story. What they're really complaining about is not who's, who will she be married to, this hypothetical woman who's been married to these seven different brothers. But they're trying to point out, oh, doesn't this make resurrection from the dead just a ridiculous concept? And Jesus says, no. But the Sadducees, they are just, they don't get, they can't get this idea of being raised from the dead. They don't believe it. That's their presenting issue. Oh, Peter and John, you're talking about resurrection from the dead. We don't agree with that. Well, nowadays it might be, it might be resurrection. It might be that people aren't convinced by supernatural things. How can you believe in this idea that something can happen that we can't explain by science? Miracles, what are you talking about? Perhaps it might be other controversial issues. Or issues that we would never have seen as controversial until recently. The idea that God created us male and female. The idea that the unborn in the womb have rights. Maybe issues surrounding the LGBTQ plus community. Maybe it be attitudes towards discipline and authority. Issues around the roles of men and women in society. Perhaps more generally, just be objecting to, well, how can you believe in a God when there's so much suffering in the world? There can be so many presenting concerns or complaints that people think, it's a church, you're just out of touch. What are you talking about? Or even worse, we think you're dangerous. They might come with multiple motives, as the Sadducees did. Maybe a sense of pride they had, pride in their position. Maybe a sense of fear that they were going to lose it all. Maybe anger. Who are these? Who do these people think they are to get up and talk? But ultimately, the truth is the Sadducees, what are they opposed to? They're opposed to Jesus, the cornerstone. They're opposed to Jesus and his word. They're opposed to the truth about him. And Peter and John face this persecution in this story. And the truth is we can expect to face it too. Maybe in some ways you have or are facing it now. In many different ways. Maybe in the workplace, maybe with your friends. Maybe it's, maybe it's as simple as ridicule or jesting about what you believe. Maybe it's more serious than that. Maybe it's situations in the workplace that actually 
You just can't say that. And now you're in trouble. We can look around the world and look at at perhaps far more serious things of people being imprisoned or or even put to death. But we can see here, even here, the authorities and, and perhaps society is more unhappy with the church and what it stands for as time goes on. As we see the reaction of the Sadducees and as we perhaps can see similar reactions in our own time. The call as we begin to look at Peter and John's response is to stand firm. Stand firm in him, Christ, our cornerstone. Recognise that in the words of James, in James 1. And verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And on in verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We see this great contrast in the story. The Sadducees aren't happy. And they're persecuting Peter and John, and yet the word of God is spreading and people are being saved. Stand firm. Recognise that we may face many trials. And let's, even as we stand here today, let's pray for our nation. Oh Lord, would you show yourself in this nation once again? But let's look at Peter and John's response before we conclude. So Peter and John, they've, they've met this, they're on their way to the temple, they've met this lame man and they've seen him healed. They've, by, in the name of Jesus, they have healed him. And Peter has preached to the, uh, the onlookers. And now as the Sadducees and other leaders have objected and have locked them up and then have brought them before them. Now they're speaking to those in authority. They're speaking to those in authority, but you can see Peter and John recognise the authority and the power of Jesus, the cornerstone. See, as we look at Peter and John's response, we can see how, again, how the the Sadducees respond to them. They're surprised. Peter speaks up and then they're surprised. Hang on, what's going on here? In uh, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John are speaking in front of these men of authority. And the leaders are surprised because these guys are just unschooled, ordinary men. They're not qualified. How did they they learn this? What is going on here? Perhaps their attitude could be portraying a sense of, well, no, 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 hang on. You need a qualification here. 
You need to be a qualified expert to be able to talk about these things. I think nowadays our culture has an interesting relationship with experts in the, in the kind of public domain. Can either get right behind, we need to follow the science. We need to follow the science. We need Chris Whitty and, what's his name, Patrick Vallance. Alongside Boris Johnson, we need the expert opinion. We need to, we need to pay attention to these guys. Because this is important. And it's a matter of public health and we need expert opinions. Whilst at the same time, maybe in the same debate, we can hear people showing a real disdain for the expert opinion. Well, so-called experts say, perhaps during the COVID pandemic, perhaps during the Brexit debate, this has been so obviously kind of up in the air, but this can be the case across society. There can be a real disdain shown, but also a real understanding of the need for an expert opinion. A need for a professional. It's often very necessary, whether you're talking about a qualified gas-safe plumber for your boiler or a qualified medic to treat serious injuries or conditions. We need people who know what they're talking about and who know what they're doing. Whilst at the same time, the society can kind of react with a bit of scepticism to a so-called expert who's saying something. But perhaps we can hear the objection of the Sadducees from others or even from ourselves. What do you know? It's not really my place to say. I'm not really qualified to speak on this. You see, Peter and John could have, could have got into this place. They've spoken before the crowd, but now the leaders have called them in. And now it's like, well, you could just, well, maybe we should just tread a bit carefully here. They are the leaders after all. And we are just, we don't really have any qualifications to show for anything. And um, no, no. I want to say right here and right now, Jesus loves unschooled, ordinary men and women. Don't discount yourself. It's very easy to get into that place of saying, it's not really my place to say. I haven't really got anything to say on this matter. You better talk to an expert about that. Now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't ever talk to experts. We need experts. But filled with the Spirit and standing on the rock that is Jesus, Peter and John speak boldly before the supposed experts of the day. Because Jesus is the one who's truly in control. Jesus is the one who's truly in authority. Peter and John stand as unschooled, ordinary men before the leaders of their people and filled with the spirit and the understanding of the authority and power of Jesus, they speak boldly the truth. Perhaps remembering the words that Jesus had told them in Luke chapter 12, which we would do well to remember as well. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 11, 
perhaps even for this specific situation, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And Peter and John speak the truth. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter speaks before the, 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 the leaders. And they're speaking strongly, boldly, confrontationally even. Now they could think, well, we are going to speak. It is our place to say something. But, okay, these are the leaders. Perhaps we should take a little bit of care here. Perhaps let's just kind of softly, softly this and then we can go home. Let's not rock the boat too much. Well, what does Peter say? If I can find the page. Know this, you and all the people of Israel. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, that this man stands before you healed. Peter isn't holding back in this moment. And he goes on, the stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone and salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter isn't holding back. Peter doesn't shy away. And you know, we need to hear this truth. Without Christ, we stand condemned. Sinful, rebellious, hopeless people. You see, it can be tempting to kind of bring a watered-down gospel. Well, you know what? We're all pretty good people. So all we really need to do is to just add Jesus onto our lives and we'll be in a good place. But it's not the truth. We're not inherently good and perhaps just need a little polishing here and there. Paul writes in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. What's he write to the Ephesians? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. You see, this is, or this was our state outside of Christ. We need to hear the full truth of the gospel. Because therefore the truth of his mercy and grace towards us is all the more glorious. And you see, as Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin and declared this truth, this is the hope we have for our friends, for our neighbours and for the world. That there is salvation in Jesus, but there is only salvation in Jesus. This is where we find hope. As Paul said to the Ephesians, you have life now even though you were dead because of him. 
Peter and John aren't afraid to bring this bold truth. They don't come with that, leaders, you've done so well holding the fort, you've done a good job, but you need to add Jesus into that mix. No, essentially they're bringing that truth. You guys are dead and you need Jesus. You guys are dead and you need to hear the truth that in, in Christ you can be forgiven and you can have life. They bring this bold truth. I would encourage us, it's truth we need to hear and truth we need to be willing to share. And how does it conclude? They refuse to stop. Ultimately, who are we living for? Who are we following? Who is in charge? Is it for Peter and John? Is it the leaders and the authorities? No, it's Jesus, the cornerstone. Who are we living for? Are we living, as Peter declares, which is right for us to do? To listen to you or to listen to God? He's the one who's in charge. I guess my encouragement to us this morning is that let's follow their lead. Let's not be silenced. Let's keep declaring the truth of Jesus Christ, the, the message of the love of God that has been poured out through Jesus at the cross. We've recently been singing that song, The Reason I Sing, and that it says those words, we will not be silenced, we'll testify of your grace. Yet I know personally it's so easy to be silenced or to be silent Peter and John declare it. We can't help declaring this truth. Well, God invites us. In fact, he commands us to fearlessly, joyfully, and boldly join in in declaring his good news. Ultimately, it's out of our relationship with him. It comes back to this. Jesus is the cornerstone, and our lives are built in him. Do we know him? Are our lives built on this cornerstone.